0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming this morning. And welcome to those that are joining us from online. Um, First time I've preached without everyone wearing masks in what, two years, three years? How long do we wear masks for? Forever. So nice to see everyone's full faces this morning. Um, Last week, Tim preached a really profound message on the power of an invitation. And if you weren't here or if you missed it, I really encourage you to go online and to to listen to his message. Um, And I found it incredible. I, I really did. I was really inspired by what you spoke about last week. And I think the thing that I found so profound about it was the fact that it was just so simple. You know, I think sometimes us as humans, you kind of think if something's simple, it's not really worth the effort. Like, we want the complicated. We like the complex. I mean, just watch the soap operas, and you see how it goes, you know? Everybody's always creating problems that aren't necessarily ones that we should be carrying. And um, the truth of the matter is that following Christ is actually a really simple notion. Not easy, Simple. You see, there's no major hoops that he requires us to jump through. There's no certain level of experience that he calls you to have before you can follow him. There's no particular rituals that he says, you have to tick this box and that box and that box and that box, and only then once you've gotten all these things in order, then you can come and be one of my followers. It's a really, really simple kind of faith, and it's pretty straightforward, but it's not always easy to do. Our faith simply requires that we put one foot in front of the other and follow in the footsteps of Christ. This week, I took my kids to the beach, and um, it was, it, Warners was pretty flat. It was nice, clean sand, so you could clearly see the footsteps that were there. And there was this one particular set that stood out because it was away from all the others, so I know it was one person's stride. And have you ever done this at the beach? Have any of you ever tried to follow in someone else's footsteps? Or is that just me? All right, so you do this. I don't know what this person must look like when you see them physically, but excuse the, excuse the very elegant pose. I did this, and I still didn't reach the other foot. It was like there, and I was going, no, man, that's impossible. I don't know if it was a surfer at a full run. I don't know if it was just a really tall lady or man who just happened to have really long strides, but each of their strides must have been like over a meter long. It was huge, and there was no possible way that the kids and I, especially me, could follow in those footsteps. It was almost impossible. And sometimes I feel that when we look at the life of Christ, that's sometimes how we feel it is. Like, no man, his footsteps and his strides are way too big for me. There's no ways. He was the perfect man. There's absolutely no way that I can attain that level of perfection. You see, and that's where we're wrong. Because Christ is not, Jesus was not somebody that we followed whose footsteps are unfollowable. He was the most relatable God, man—that that that any religion has ever has ever aspired to—he um, he is the most relatable person. The way he lived his life is the way we should live our lives, and it's as simple as that. Um, I, I'm going to try and stick with my notes this morning because they are pretty good notes, I think so. I normally go off on a tangent. <laughs> See, we often we often focus on the gift that Christ gave us at the cross. At the cross. Um, That's true. I mean, yes, obviously his sacrifice on the cross is the key that gives us eternal life. But I believe if it was all about that, then why did Christ come for 33 years before the cross? What purpose did his life here on earth serve? God doesn't do things for no purpose. He doesn't do things just so much because. And I believe that Christ came and lived his life. Yes, there's a gift for us in the cross, But there's also a gift for us in the life that Christ lived here on earth. And that gift is that he showed us the path. God doesn't ask us to walk a path that he himself has never walked. We are following in the footsteps of a God who came down in human form and was the most relatable every man that you could meet. I mean, if we had to think about it today, if God came to us or the angels came to us and went, listen, God's thinking of coming to earth in human form, I'd like you to help just map out the design of what his life's going to look like. Would we have picked the life of a carpenter from an insignificant town who was born in a barn 2,000 years ago? Is that the life that us as humans would have designed for the God of all creation? I don't think so. I think if if the angels had come and said to me, right, we need your help, because they do that often, you know, we need your help. Um, we're going to, we're going to send God to earth on this human mission and we'd like you to just help him, help him cope with humanity, help him plan what his life should look like. I don't know. Did anyone watch the Queen's Jubilee celebrations a few weeks ago? Anyone? No one? Yes. All right. All that fanfare and all that pomp that would have just been the starting point for the life that I would have planned for Christ on earth. Like if you told me God's coming to earth, we would have done full-out celebrity status, right? Like if I was planning the way God has to live his life in human form, I would have said, no, man, he's got to have all the popularity, all the power, all the wealth. He's got to be way up there with the top-notch celebrities of our time. And yet Jesus didn't do that. He didn't come to earth to lead some kind of highfalutin status that we can never attain to. He came and he humbled himself. The God of creation humbled himself into human form. And the Bible even tells us that he wasn't, and I I say this with all respect, I'm paraphrasing here, but he wasn't much to look at. It wasn't like you looked at this guy and he was like Hercules and big and bulky. And yes, that's the leader of the army. He was just a regular, ordinary looking guy. He was a carpenter from Nazareth, which wasn't even like a big fancy New York City or Durban metropolis, you know, it was, he was, he was an every man, And I believe we sometimes overlook the gift that God has given us in the life that Christ lived. Because in living his life, he has shown us how we can live our lives here on this earth. He has set footsteps in place that we can relate to. God would not ask you to go through anything that he himself has not experienced. He is not a God of good ideas. He's a God of practical faith. And when we are following Christ, it's not following somebody that's directing from afar. We are following somebody who has walked the path that he calls us to walk. It's a simple faith. It's a follow the leader kind of faith. But it's not always an easy faith. Is anyone here a general knowledge fundi? Yes, absolutely. Any runners in the room? Does anyone know the significance of the 6th of May, 1954? Anyone? Yes, you said it. It's the four-minute mile. Anyone, anyone heard of that before? All right. So up until the 6th of May, 1954, there was a, there, uh, all the runners and the people that were professional athletes, they didn't believe it was possible to run a mile in under four minutes. So there was this four-minute barrier, and for decades it had stood, and people did not believe that it was physically possible for a human to run the distance of a mile, which is 1,609 meters, or 1.6 kilometers. So 1.6 kilometers, they did not believe it was possible for any human being to run a mile in under four minutes. And on the 6th of May, 1954, an Englishman by the name of Roger Bannister broke that record. And I wanna share with you, if you'll if bear with me, I wanna share with you an extract from an article that was written about this, this momentous ca- occasion in, in running history. Um, and it, if you wanna go and read the full article, it's from the Harvard Business Review, written by a, a guy named Bill Taylor. And this is what it says. For years, Milers had been striving against the clock, but the elusive four minutes had always beaten them. It had become as much a psychological barrier as a physical one. And like an unconquerable mountain, the closer it was approached, the more daunting it became. So the four-minute barrier stood for decades. And when it fell, the circumstances defied the confident predictions of the best minds in the sport. Fancy way of saying, when the, when the barrier was beaten, it didn't happen like the experts said it would. The experts believed that they knew the precise conditions under which the mark would fall. It would have to be in perfect weather, 68 degrees, obviously Fahrenheit, and no wind. On a particular kind of track, hard, dry clay, and in front of a huge, boisterous crowd, urging the runner on to his best ever performance. But Bannister did it on a cold day, on a wet track, at a small meet in Oxford, England, before a crowd of just a few thousand people. When Bannister broke the mark, even his most ardent rivals breathed a sigh of relief. At last, somebody did it. And once they saw it done, they did it too. It's not necessarily the easy path, but it is the simple one that we follow. And we can do it because we have seen it done in the life of Christ Christ God in human form on earth. The footsteps he has left for us make something that was previously unattainable for human beings. Going to heaven, spending eternity with God. No, I mean, we discounted ourselves from that in the Garden of Eden. That was completely off the table. That was an unattainable goal. But Jesus came, and through his sacrifice, his blood cleans us. But through his life, he has laid an example of how we should be living in our time on earth. He's put a path of footprints in front of us that are easy, no, not easy, simple, but not always easy to follow. So the four-minute mile is possible. Do we have any four-minute milers among us, by the way? Anyone? Tim? Tim? Yes, yes, he's setting the three-minute mile goal. (laughs) Anyway, so I researched, because you know me, I like research. Um, Most recently, the most recent person to join the four-minute milers was a young student, a guy from high school in America, now, on the the 16th of May this year, now. And he adds to that, with him included, 1,663 people that since Roger Bannister has broken that barrier in 1954, since he did that, what's that, nearly 70 years ago, 68 years ago, since he did that, thousands of others have followed in his footsteps. Why? Because they went, hey, It can be done because that guy did it. So it is with the life of Christ. And I don't say this irreverently. I'm saying this with all the awe and wonder of God incarnate coming to earth and us having the privilege of following in his footsteps. The four-minute mile is possible, but if you never put on the running shoes, if you never do the training, if you never make the attempt, then it's nothing more than a good theory. Following Christ is possible, but it calls for us to put on our running shoes or our walking shoes and to follow in his strides. It's all well and good. Yes, we have the life of Christ planned out in front of us. That's the way he went, but I'm going this way. That doesn't help. That doesn't get us where he wants us to go. Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, Jesus says it like this. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There are two paths laid out ahead of us. One is narrow, but it leads to life. One is broad, but it leads to destruction. If that was the sales pitch we used, like would you like life or would you like destruction? everybody's going to choose life, right? So why does the Bible say only a few people can find it? It's not this exclusive thing. It's not like God has gone, no, I only have a certain number of people I'm letting through the gate, Sorry, the tickets are sold out. He's saying there's only a few people that will actually hear the word, that will put on their running shoes, and that will start the attempt to walk in Christ's strides. And you know what? There's nothing this morning that disqualifies any of us in this room from being those people that put on those shoes and that follow in his footsteps. There's nothing. You don't have to nudge the person next to you and be like, hey, you should be on that road, or I'll never make it on that road. It's you. Christ has called you as you are. No hoops to jump through. No big rituals you have to perform. Nothing that you have to do that that, that he says, first do this and then follow me. In fact, like we learned last week, the invitation is so simple. If you look, any time that Christ ever invited anyone, he didn't come with a big sales pitch. What were the words that he used? Follow me. We read it in Matthew 28, and I don't have these slides. But in Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, we've got a, um, what's called the Great Commission. And I know I've said this before, but ours is a faith of verbs. Ours is a faith that requires action. And in the Great Commission, Christ's final words to his disciples here uh, in the book of Matthew, uh, where he says to them, therefore, go and make disciples. His initial instruction is go, go do what I've said, start that movement, start that path, get going on what I've asked you to do. Right throughout his ministry, he's used those words and his invitations don't get any more complicated today than they were back then. In Matthew 4, verse 19, we read about Andrew and Peter, who were fishermen. They were on the beach one day, on the shore with their nets. And Jesus walked past them and went, follow me. And then verse 20, it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. The next verse, he then meets James and John, uh, sons of Zebedee. They were also fishermen. And his invitation is just as simple. The Bible says, Jesus called to them. I assume he called, follow me. And immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. In Luke, we read about Jesus now not on the beach, but now he's near the tax collector tables. And there's a tax collector sitting there by the name of Levi. And Jesus turns to Levi, and he says, follow me. And, Jesus, and the Bible tells us that Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. That's in Luke chapter 5. There's no big fancy fanfare. Sometimes we want to overcomplicate things. Jesus is saying to us this morning, follow me. And it's as simple as going, yes, Lord, I will. One foot in front of the other in the direction you have called me. A simple invitation, an immediate response, and it changes history. Not just the course of your own life, but all the lives that you impact and touch. Your following Christ will have an effect on them. I promise you that now. And you guys that went to the one, the, the one church conference, it's incredible. You don't realize the power that youth have. I mean, yes, you can learn from those that have come ahead of you and follow in the footsteps, but you guys are the guys with all the energy and the, and the guts and go for it kind of glory. And that's amazing that you guys went because God's calling you to great things. That wasn't in my notes. Luke <laughs> chapter 9. We read about Jesus walking down a road. And as he's walking, a man, we don't know who the man is. I don't, I don't think it was one of his disciples. It was just a guy that he met. Went, I will follow you wherever you go. Then Jesus said to another man, follow me. And the man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. They seem like harsh words, eh? But there's absolute truth to them because what Christ is saying is, put me first, not Lord, tomorrow, tomorrow. I had a a friend growing up, and I remembered this when I was uh, typing this up. Um, She had a poster on her bedroom wall, and it was all these cute little kittens, and it said, I can do it, I will do it, I shall do it tomorrow. Anyone like that here? I'm a world-class procrastinator. If it was an Olympic sport, I would have multiple gold medals around my neck. Do you know what I found? Maybe I shouldn't be this honest about it, but but the worst part for me about preaching, and, and I'll say this, Is the prep ahead of time? Because it's all up here. But I'm like, how do I put it down on paper? How do I make what's here come out here and sound like it sounds in here okay, you know? And the hardest part for me is opening my laptop to start. And once I open it, it's fun. And I have it all. And I'll research things. The hardest thing is opening up, taking that first step, putting putting the shoes on, getting on the course. It'll become easier as you go, but it's up to you and you alone to take the first step. We can't carry anyone across the finish lines. We can't carry anyone, force them onto the course. It's up to you. And that's the gift that God has given you in the life that Jesus lived. There's a choice. There's a gift. And he says, follow me. But no, we wait. We have a list of conditions. Lord, when I win the lotto... Lord, when I have a better, God looks better, when I fix that relationship, when I've got more time at work, when my kids are a little bit bigger, when my kids are a little bit younger, when I've had kids, whatever it is, do you understand? And we have this list of conditions. I will follow you, Lord, but in my own timing. That's not following God. That's choosing the broad way, the easy way, the road with lots of paths, the road with lots of distractions, the road that, to be frank, most of society follows, But ultimately, the one that leads to destruction. The easy path will cost the most at the end. The narrow path is the one that's already been paid for. There's a Japanese proverb, and you could probably all quote it with me, that says the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I believe there are people sitting here that God has called this morning. And I'm not just talking about accepting the gift of God on your life. I know generally in a church, you're you're facing people that have already accepted that gift. If you haven't accepted that gift this morning and the Spirit's tugging on your heart, well, we'll have a moment later to do that. But there are some people here that God has already told you what to do. There's a call on your life, not just accepting Christ. Someone's sitting here and they know that God has told them to do something but you've got him on hold. Just wait, Lord. He's saying no more waiting. The time to take that step is now. I preached a very similar message, and I'm not done yet. Don't worry. We've still got time. The, food, the food's on, on heat outside. Now, that sounds terrible. The food's on heat. Guys, <laughs> don't let me say things like that. What, what comes out of my mouth? You know what I mean. The food's in hot pots outside it's going to be on the internet forever, isn't it? Can we edit that out? No. <sighs> My mom is watching at home. I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> Guys, that's why you've got to think before you speak. All right. I'm nearly done. What I was trying to say is I preached a very similar message to this about seven years ago. We had just come into the building. We we'd started the church in the classroom, and about a year after that, we, we came. And I, it was about six or seven years ago I preached this very similar message with the same verses I'm going to go to later. And afterwards, a lady came up to me and told me she was so inspired by the message. And it's really awesome. As a preacher, it's lovely when you have people come and encourage you because it's, it really is an encouragement. She went on, she said she was, she, and it's not, I'm not taking credit here. This isn't me going, oh, because I preach such a good word. What I'm trying to say is because someone responded to the call that God had spoken through me or through his word, she'd already had a call on her life, and I think she told me just what I had said in the message was the step in the right direction. She went on, and she still is today an overseas missionary who's literally in the, the battlefields, as it were, in places where Christians are not welcome, and yet her and her husband, she recently got married and had a child, her and her husband are plowing forward and making great strides in the kingdom of God because she took a step. Now, I'm not saying that you might have the same calling on your life. I'm not saying we're all called to a life of of suffering for Christ in that sense, but there is something that God has laid on your heart. Maybe it's just an invitation you have to give someone. Maybe it's just... A call you have to make, a decision you have to take, and you know what it is, but it's a tough one to to call. Whatever it is, God has called you to something this morning. Take that step in His direction. Tom Hiddleston, who's an actor, is quoted as saying, You keep putting one foot in front of the other, and then one day you look back and you've climbed a mountain. Nothing big or grand was ever built without the smallest of bricks being placed one on top of the other. Martin Luther King Jr. said, if you cannot do great things, do small things but in a great way. In Psalm 1 verses uh, 1 1 to 3, it says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And if you go down to verse 6, it says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. If you are following God, if you are following Christ, you are following in the footsteps of God Himself, and He has walked the path ahead of us. I want you to notice, and I know I've pointed this out once before, so forgive me for repetition here for those who remember the message. But do you notice? Can we put that one back up there? Just Psalm 1 1, if that's okay. Do you notice the the movement happening in that verse? Do you see it says, Do not walk in step with the wicked stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of the mockers? Do you notice the regression of the movement? We're walking, walking, one foot in front of the other, walking, 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 and then we start walking with the wrong people or the wrong company or the wrong thoughts or the wrong decisions or whatever it is. And then we stop walking and we're standing, and now there's no momentum, there's no movement. And then eventually we're sitting, and there's no movement at all. There's no camping grounds on the road with Christ. There's no stopping that momentum forward. It's one foot in front of the other, following where our leader goes. And the good news is this, because it's a simple path, it's not an easy path, and it can often be tiring, that as much as there might be in that verse a regression of movements if we choose the wrong path, if we choose the right path, we see the opposite happening. We see a progression of movements. Can we put up Isaiah 40? It's the final verse for this morning. It says this. This is from verse 28. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Do you see the progression? The walking becomes the running, becomes the soaring. But the only way we can reach that level of soaring with Christ, where he lifts us up and carries us along the path, is if we decide to put one foot in front of the other and to begin that movement in the right direction. In following the, the, the footsteps that Christ has called us to. Walking, running, soaring on the right path, path with Christ. As opposed to walking, standing, sitting, and then going, Where is God anyway? He's there. He's watching over our way. There are people here today that He has called, and you'll know who you are. And it's not just a call to accept His gift. But there's a call for someone here that there's something on your life that God has called you to do, and you've been wrestling with it. This morning, take the first step one foot in front of the other. Can we pray together? And then we'll go and see if the food is still hot. (laughs) Let's pray. Can we stand? Is that okay? Because sometimes standing is the, that's the first way to take the first step is stand. Then walk. Let's pray. Do you want to pray, Tim? Do you want to pray first? Okay.
1: Before, before, our, before Charlotte prays, um, one of the obstacles to, to us walking in the call of God for our lives is comfort. We, we get comfortable and think, well, to take an invitation and go and put it in a post box is uncomfortable. Or to, to give my life to Jesus and walk and walk in front of people is not comfortable. Or to do Alpha on a Monday night and give up more of my time, it's not comfortable. But God wants to I say comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. It's 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 time for us to stop just sitting around waiting for the world to change, but to actually bring about the change that God's called us to, and He calls every one of us to go. I do believe that there's people that need to give their life to Jesus today. And then, as of today, you don't think, oh, well, I need to not qualify. You are filled with purpose immediately. And from there, you step out of your comfort zone. And then from there, you step out of your comfort zone again, and you invite friends. First step, give your life to Jesus. Next step, invite other people to give their life to Jesus. I want to read one scripture before um, Charlotte prays. And if you need to give your life to Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to take some uncomfortable steps. But they're actually not that uncomfortable because you surrendering to God Almighty and he will bless your life with purpose and eternal life and the reason you were born will be discovered so if you are in the room and you've never given your life to Jesus as Charlotte's praying just take steps one step after the next step and come to the front and I want to read one scripture before before Charlotte prays it says this in Romans and Romans is written by a guy who was fiercely not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes We are not ashamed of the gospel. This is a powerful message. So I encourage you, grab invitations, um, and won't you make your way forward to the front um, as we pray together.
0: I've got this one. All right, let's close our eyes. If there is anyone here this morning that would like to take that step of faith, and you can feel it, and you know, and you're like, Lord, it's uncomfortable. It's one foot in front of the other. You've been doing that all your life. Do it now for Christ. Is there anyone who, who would like to come to the front? For any reason, for prayer, we'll stick around afterwards as well. You want If you want one-on-one prayer, please don't be afraid. Don't this morning move away from here and go, yes, I'm challenged, but... No, not today, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you've given us the ultimate gift. Not just in the surrender and sacrifice of Christ, Lord, but in the life that he lived too. Father, help us, challenge us, guide us, Lord, to follow in your footsteps. In every scenario, in every decision, in every challenge that we face, Father, may yours and yours alone be the voice that we seek to guide us and to instruct us and to secure us on the right path. Lord, please keep us on that way. And Father, when we tire and when we grow weary, Lord, we thank you that your spirit, our comforter, is there to lift us up. Father, that all we have to do is take that first step in your direction. And your spirit will lead us the rest of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.